We're in a series that Pastor began last week that I'm kind of tagging in on, entitled The God of Christmas Present. And when Pastor asked me to teach in this series, I was immediately excited when he told me the, the title of the series, because there was a word that God gave me about five weeks ago that I absolutely knew fit perfectly in this slot. And I want to encourage all of you today to block out the distractions, just like Lucy was worshiping a minute, minute ago. Let's set everything outside of this room that doesn't belong here, because what I have to share with you today is a life-changing word. And I can say that because it's changed my life, okay? So tune in, dial out the distractions, put the cell phones on mute, put them in your pocket or your purse, and uh, just... Let's kind of huddle around the campfire, or the uh, maybe not the campfire, but the fireplace. We'll do that since it's Christmas. The stockings are hang, hung up on them. Um, I'll be reading from a very non-traditional Christmas text today, but um, like I said, the message was something that God gave me about five weeks ago. We were at our annual elders retreat up in Oklahoma, and I was in kind of my quiet time. Uh, that first morning, we fast and pray and kind of listen for God for the coming year. And this text was where God led me. And uh, it's there's a whole lot in it. I just want you guys to know that I'll, we'll kind of unpack it together today. Uh, but know that it's not like a traditional kind of Christmas message text. However, I do want to start in the same place that Pastor started last week. And that's going to be in Matthew one twenty three. And we're all familiar with it, but I just want to read it. Again, right now, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Uh, last week, you heard Pastor talk about how God and how Jesus works in your storms. And today, what I'm going to talk about is his presence and influence in your battles. Um, as you're turning and tapping to our main text, which today is going to be out of Second Chronicles 20, we're going to talk about King Jehoshaphat. Um, my, my lovely blue-eyed, blonde-haired princess last week uh, leaned over to me at my son's basketball game, and she said, uh, Dad, uh, make sure you mix in some jokes uh, in your sermon. It'll keep us interested. And uh, <laughs> I, said, uh, I said, what if I don't have any jokes? <laughs> and she says, Dad, Google them. So... Um, <laughs> Thank you, sweet pea. Uh, she's here with me today. Will you stand and, and wave at everyone? This is, she's almost 13. And uh, I've also got my lovely bride of 20 years in service with me today, Elena. So why don't you stand real quick, hon? I don't get to brag on you much. Uh, anything I accomplish comes through this woman. I just want you to know that. She's, uh, she's amazing. She's the most amazing mom and wife that you could ever ask for, and um, I couldn't do what I do without what all she does. How many have a, a lady like that in your life? <laughs> Amen. All right, guys, let's jump in. So I, I got to give you some quick bullet points as we get started today to set the, the stage for what we're going to share. Um, like I said, we're in Second Chronicles 20, and so you've probably heard of King Jehoshaphat. Maybe you've said jumping Jehoshaphat. Um, and there is, a, you know, there is a, a story to that I don't have time to go into, but just uh, maybe to see me after service, I'll give you the cliff notes on that. I had to trim some fat in this, ser this sermon, and so that was one of the things to go. But um, the, uh, in Sol after Solomon's reign, King of Solomon's reign, Israel was split into two kingdoms. And so we have the kingdom of Israel. Geographically, it was split. We have Israel and we have Judah. Uh, Jehoshaphat was the fourth king of Judah. He took the throne at age 35, if you can imagine that in 870 BC during a time of pretty intense war. 
Among the first of his actions was border fortification, most especially between Judah and Israel and the evil king Ahab. Um, so one of his first actions as king was border security. Um, I wonder if he caught any flack for that. I don't know. That... <laughs> hey, I didn't Google that one. That was mine. Okay. Um, his 25-year reign was marked largely by his devotion to the Lord. He never fell into pagan worship, as many other kings did, including Israel at this point in time. He established a traveling school led by 16 well-trained teachers that went around the kingdom teaching the law of the Lord, kind of a mobile Christian school, if you will, uh, the first recorder of its kind. Um, his leadership had been so effective and the blessing of the Lord so rich over this period that internal peace and military security had become kind of the standard uh, during his reign. His biggest weakness, however, seemed to be a bad habit of forming alliances with evil influences or rulers, and this led to some of the blemishes that you see in his reign. Um, anyone here made any unwise choices in your relationships? All right, all of us. Uh, the thing I love about the story of Jehoshaphat is this is, again, not a perfect man, okay? He's just like you and me. And while there were a lot of things in his story that I think we can certainly be excited about and learn from in, in context with his relationship with the Lord, he made mistakes, just like all of us do. And so keep that in mind as we kind of work through the text today. Remember, the Old Testament speaks in examples and patterns, right? Uh, the New Testament is uh, Jesus revealed. So you've heard pastors say that before. The Old Testament is Jesus concealed. The New Testament is Jesus revealed. So as we, as we talk through the examples and the things that we're going to learn from this text today, what I, don't disregard the Old Testament is what I'm saying. The Old Testament has a lot to say about the types and the shadows and the patterns that we follow that lead us to Jesus. Amen? All right, so we're going to start in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 1, and we'll work our way through the text, uh, through this chapter by the time we finish up. The armies of the Moabites, the Ammonites, and some of the Meunites declared war on Jehoshaphat. So all of a sudden, you go from, at this point in time, Jehoshaphat, has, the kingdom is at peace. Everything is going really well. Things are kind of on autopilot, if you will, um, experiencing peace. There's uh, you know, prosperity in the land. Everything he puts his hand to is going really, really, really well. And then, kind of like Pastor Marty talked last week, that's those sudden storms. This is kind of one of those one of those moments. So he gets three kingdoms declaring war on him. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, "A vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They are already at Hezazon Tamar, and that's significant. We'll come back to that in a second. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news, and he begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in, the, in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. The word I have for you today I've titled Emmanuel in the battle or God with us in the battle. Let's bow our heads. Father, we just give you this day. I ask for you to be the only spirit of power present with us in this room that all distractions and all the stuff that we deal with in life would be left outside these doors so that we can focus completely and entirely on you. And we give you this day and our time together in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. There are a few key things I want us to draw from this message text today. Um, if you are facing a battle similar to this, or maybe, uh, like Pastor said last week, you kind of we, we work through battle seasons, right, in our life. Sometimes you're going through one. Sometimes you're just coming out of one. Sometimes you're about to go in one. So 
just because you may not be necessarily facing one at the moment, you know, take some notes, right? Um, the first thing we see in this text is Jehoshaphat's position. And so point one we're going to cover right now is uh, the position of our heart, taking our place. Um, if you look in verse 3, what we see is Jehoshaphat is terrified by this news. So he gets the word that the, the enemy has advanced, and he has the very common human emotion known as fear grip his heart, right? What I want to tell you this morning is I felt this so strongly. Sometimes, I know growing up, there, I was in circles at times where if you, if you admitted that you were afraid or you had fear, somehow you were less of a Christian, right? Uh, God, God gave us our emotions, right? All of them. The, point, the, the, the thing I want you to hear today and see in this text is it's, it's not the emotion, it's what you do with it, Okay? Um, why was Jehoshaphat so fearful and afraid? Verse 2, messengers came and told him, a vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Red Sea. They were already at Hazazon Tamar. The reason this is significant is because the enemy had already overtaken his borders and advanced so far into his territory that he would not have had time to respond. He would not have had time to rally the troops he would not have had time to mount a defense. And so all of a sudden, the enemy's there, like on their doorstep. And that's kind of the picture I want you to see here. They are sitting ducks, okay, if, if, you, if that makes sense. They, they, don't, they don't have a recourse other than what we're about to read in, the, in this uh, text. I want to give you some context, though. I think sometimes we read these Bible stories and the, the accounts of what happened in the Bible, we don't have these like frames of reference. We think Judah maybe is this little pile of 200 people, you know? Um, if you read first, uh, the Second Chronicles 17, it talks about specifically the military like groupings. And so if you do the quick math, which I did for you, you're welcome. Um, J- uh, Judah would have had recorded in this text 1.16 million troops, archers and warriors. And that, in that chapter, it further says there were other troops and soldiers in other fortified cities, but it doesn't number them. So safe to say, we have one to two million soldiers, troops, archers, and they're sitting ducks. So can you imagine the size of the enemy's opposition that would have been mounted against them? We're talking about millions of troops and warriors that have already advanced so far that J- Judah can't rally a million plus warriors to do anything of significance. So can you see that it looked hopeless? Can you see why he might have been a little fearful? Right? All right. Um, I, I, had, I was thinking about um, some moments in my life where I've had that kind of fear. All right? One in, uh, growing up, I think probably some of you might be able to identify with this, but how many have ever had that moment maybe as a child where you started looking for mom and dad around the house and they weren't there and you thought, oh, crap, I missed the rapture. <laughs> how many of you felt that way before? Is it just me? Okay, there's some others in the room. I had that moment a handful of times because we, we've just been preached about the rapture and that weekend at church and all of a sudden I look up and my grandparents lived across the street. So I remember one day in particular, my mom had gone across the street to visit grandma and didn't tell me. And I get up from whatever I'm doing, playing Legos or whatever. I'm start looking for mom around the house, and she's not there. And the more I look, the more worried I get. And the more worried I get, I get outside, and I'm circling the house. And then I'm screaming, Mom! And before, before I realize it, you know, uh, mom's coming back across the street, and I see her, and like, whew, you know. Um, 
But that was, that was fear. Uh, there was panic. Uh, the most significant moment in my life that left an indelible imprint on me was several years ago. And I think uh, my little girl, Kara, was about six or seven. Um, but we were visiting uh, Great Wolf Lodge uh, in the DFW area. And we had come down, and we were in the lobby. And there were hundreds of people. It was packed. There were hundreds of people everywhere. And we stopped by the, the little gift shop area to kind of talk and figure out where we were going to go and what we are going to do next. And what you know couldn't have been more than a few seconds, we look around and Kara's gone. And all I can see is a sea of people, and we're running into the gift shop. We're you know, invoking the name of Jesus. We're, we're praying in tongues. We're, we're running. There's a little stair area. If you've ever been there, you kind of go up, it looks over a kid's play area. I, I got up there and I was looking all over the place. And I can't, even as I studied for this message, that fear, I felt it again because I thought she was gone. And thank the Lord God above that when we stopped, Kara didn't realize we stopped and she kept walking and she was about this tall at the time. She walked all the way out the front door, and the Lord positioned a guardian angel that looked like a security guard right at the front door that caught her and brought her back into us. And that, that eternity was about eight or nine minutes, <laughs> but it was panic, right? It was fear. That's the kind of fear I want you to kind of, kind of process with me as we're looking through this text right now. Again, fear is not wrong. It's what it motivates you to do. We were praying. It looked a little erratic, but we were praying in that moment when we were looking for Kara. Uh, there's an analogy that I, I, this really helped put a picture to it for me, and I want to submit it to you guys today. Um, how many have ever like maybe sailed a sailboat? I've never done this. So uh, most of us looks like maybe one, okay? Let me, so I'm teaching you something you don't know, all right? If, if you look at the, the analogy I'm going to give you, the sailboat, when you're sailing, it's the position of the sails that help you kind of matriculate across the water, right? Uh, what's cool and unique about a sailboat is that you can actually position your sails in a way that you can use opposing wind to propel you forward. I want you to see the picture of fear as the opposing wind. It's what we do with it. It's how we posture ourselves, how we position our sails so that it doesn't, we don't sit still, we don't allow it to push us back, but we position ourselves and we posture ourselves in such a way that we actually use fear, something maybe the enemy is trying to use against us to push us further past them into our destiny. Amen? That's a good picture. Somebody amen me. All right. Jehoshaphat converted his fear into faith. And so we see this kind of at the end of the prayer that he prays that we'll, we'll read here in a second, all of it. But he let go of his pride. I don't have a lot of time to spend on this point, but suffice it to say that we all have to let go of our pride, right? In a moment like that, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks, right? Let go of your pride. It says, Jehoshaphat bowed low. He looked to God, which are signs of humility and surrender, and at the end of his recorded prayer, and I love this, and we're going to hit it a couple times today, what Jehoshaphat's words are that I love so much that I prayed probably more than I'm willing to admit to you is, God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Amen? That's a good prayer. Um, process your fear, posture yourself and your sails in faith, and use the fear, the fear that maybe the enemy meant to took, take you out to propel you forward and past the battle. Amen? 
All right, next is maybe the most critical step in this entire process. Actually, it is. I can say that because it's my message. Um, but especially within the American church today, there's, there's a, a, a deficit in the area of prayer. And that's the, the second thing we see Jehoshaphat do. Um, you know, some people seem more concerned today with the decline of Christmas spirit with, than with the prayer in the Holy Spirit. You know? Um, and I, I think for the, the, the American church, and you guys have seen it, you know, I'm talking to, to you guys, and we're looking at the church at large, we're looking at society at large. We have a lot of people that talk about prayer. Yeah, I'll pray for you. You know, do you see them praying for a meal? You know, those are all good things. But I'm not talking about that kind of prayer. I'm talking about earnest seeking of the Lord. I'm talking about a relationship. Prayer is relationship. It's talking to dad, you know, and it's not using King James English, you know, it's, it's talking to God, just like I'm talking to you right now, just like Jehoshaphat did. God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Amen. All right. So there's so many things I want to say. I just don't have time to say, but we'll just, we'll go to the text here. Um, second Chronicles 20, we're gonna look at verse six. He prayed, O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are the ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. O our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? Skip to verse 12. O our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we're looking to you for help. God loves honest prayers. And like I said, prayer is just talking to God. It's not complicated. We make it really complicated. I make it really complicated. Um, but at the end of the day, what, what prayer really is is just you kind of getting out of your time, you know, responsibility, setting your time aside, you know, your agenda aside, and just making time to talk to God. And sometimes that's just sitting in his presence. Yeah. i got something God's challenged me. This last two months has been probably the most revolutionary period of my life, and, and it's not really a secret. I've, I've made more time for God, and guess what? He filled it up, you know? Um, and that's kind of my challenge to all of you, to be honest. Talk to him. Give him space and time. Don't come in with your task list like I've done and go, here's, here's all the things that I need to remind you to do, God, you know? And he's sitting there like, you know, like, come on. Um, he knows those things. Not that we shouldn't remind ourselves sometimes, right? Not that we shouldn't present them to him. He said, present your request to me, right? But at the same time, it's understanding what the point of prayer is. And so um, the thing I want you to get from this text we just read is that you, as you see Jehoshaphat in that entire prayer, and we skipped a little bit of it, you can go back and catch the rest, but what you see him doing is talking about where God's delivered him, where God did amazing things for, for the people, for, for them, how he's delivered them, how he's worked in their lives. Then, he's, then he turns to God, you know, we got to have some help. Like without you, we will be crushed, okay? And the thing that um, in your prayer, like I said, reminding yourself and looking back at what God has done should be one of the things that's kind of a priority within that time with the Lord. Because sometimes it's not just about what we need to do in that moment with the Lord as much as it is reminding us of all the amazing things that God has already brought us through, right? 
because I, mean, I taught a class one time here um, on contentment, and one of the challenges in that class was to have everybody just write down all of your blessings, you know, write down all the things that God's done for you, because a lot of times we tend to focus on the negative, don't we? If we'll take the time, which I have, like I've done this, and sometimes I bring that list out, because when I have a bad day, I need to go look at all the stuff that God's done for me, you know, and that list is a lot longer, trust me, right? So um, rehearse it. That's what Jehoshaphat's doing. The example he's setting for the people is he's rehearsing, he's reminding, he's building their faith. And he's asking God, hey, God, we can't do it without you, right? So prayer has to be the first priority. We also have to obey what he says, you're right? The, uh, the, th- the thing that struck me in this, that just a kind of a note, I want you to really maybe write down is that we're not just, in in times of crisis, in times of battle or storms or whatever the case may be, we're not seeking a bailout, right? We're not seeking a release from pressure. We're seeking God's will. I think a lot of times we get caught up trying to get out of the the bind, you know, and we're in, we're feeling the pressure and the, the, the circumstances kind of press in on us and we just want relief, you know? We're not praying for relief, We're praying for God's will, right? His kingdom come, his will be done in our lives. Um, If you want a book that challenges your heart and faith so much that maybe it hurts, um, I've read one recently called Why Revival Tarries, but it's by Leonard Ravenhill, and if you don't know who that is, he uh, he was born at the turn of the century. He was an English revivalist, but he was a man of prayer. And there's a couple of quotes that have stuck with me. I thought I'd give them to you, and if, if you want to marinate on them or maybe even read the book, then, then feel free. It's a lot. I'm gonna, it's not for the faint of heart. You know, this isn't an easy breezy you know, uh, read, but one of the things that he said, um, one place alone will keep the heart in passion and the eyes in vision, and that's the place of prayer. But the most significant one I, I read that I wrote down, highlighted, underlined, and bolded right here in my notes is the only power that God yields to is prayer. Let that sink in for just a second. He, he built us, and he, he engineered prayer to be the catalyst. He, he loved us so much that he made it dependent upon our prayer to be the, the binding agent in our relationship with God, right? So he, when we need something, it's not going and doing a formula. It's not going and doing the thing we did last time. It's going to God, right? It's going, it's, we're, we're engineered and we're genetically designed to go seek him out for the answer, for the peace that we need, right? Prayer unlocks the supernatural in your life. So what should we expect when we pray? The next thing we see is the prophetic. Um, we should expect to get a fresh word from the Lord, if we're really praying and not just going through the checklist, then we should expect God to speak. And so prayer activates the prophetic. Um, it is the catalyst. So keep in mind, as we're looking through this order, this is the order that it, sh- that it has to happen. God doesn't speak outside of prayer. Now, he can speak through people that are in prayer, but when you're looking at your life, and your ownership of your life and the responsibility, the mission, the purpose that God's called you to do here, he's going to reveal it to you, right? The prophetic doesn't offer you new information. The prophetic is designed to encourage and to build up and to confirm what is already in here. Amen? Um, 
and you might you know, mark on your calendars, I can't remember the date, but there's a Revive service coming up here in the next few weeks. You will not want to miss that. Okay? Mark, mark that. It's in your app. Check it out. Um, I, I've been, I mentioned earlier, I've been in this season where um, I don't have time to give you the whole story, unfortunately, but I, I want to give you enough of it to understand what I'm talking about. I've been in this season of uh, intense prayer for me, a big change in me that has led to um, some prophetic words being released from people that are around me. I'm confident that if I hadn't been pressing in prayer ahead of those things, those things wouldn't have happened. Because what, what God was showing me, I felt stuck. I felt like I'm spinning my wheels. Like, God, I'm, I'm trying to do everything you're telling me to do, but it's just not clicking, or I'm just feeling conflicted. How many have ever felt stuck before? Um, it was that feeling. And God spoke through a good friend of mine, and uh, the, the word that I got connected all the dots and it gave me confirmation of where I was and where I was going and it was more or less that attaboy get in there you know get after it and so um, that's how it works though you got it the prayer comes first right and then the prophetic word is released and that's what we see in the text second chronicles 20 verse 13 as all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones Wives and children, the Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. So remember, Jehoshaphat had just finished praying. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel and says, Listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Friends, when the battle is out of your hands, it's firmly in God's hands. Amen? Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. That's pretty specific, right? But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still. The position is faith. It's not fear. It's taking the fear and converting it to faith. And then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He's with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. Some of you here today are one fresh prophetic word away from your breakthrough. How do we get there, Pastor Mark? We got to pray, guys. If, If we're not praying, we're not unlocking God's mechanism for getting us to where we're supposed to go. It doesn't happen on accident. It doesn't happen by itself. If you will submit yourself in prayer, and, it, and it's not a you know, five-minute, you know, hey, you know, what you got? You know? um, it's different for everybody, right? Prayer, prayer looks different or should look different for all of us because we're all made differently, and God knows how to speak to each one of us individually, right? There's not a formula. Um, pray first, activate the prophetic, receive the word of God. In Judah's case... What they received was the battle plan, right? So why is getting the battle plan from God's word important for every battle? If you look at kind of the landscape of the Bible and you see all the battles, there's lots of them right in there. Sometimes you see God instructing his people to go all brave heart on the enemy, right? <laughs> Freedom, you know? Um, sometimes you see Joshua leading his people to march around the walls and be quiet. <laughs> and then the last day, shout. Sometimes you see David telling his men, we're going to go up here and we're going to wait for the sound of men marching in the poplar trees. And then when we attack, the victory will be ours, 
All right, does that make sense to anybody? Battle, you know, if you, if you interviewed some, you know, army veterans or whatever, I, I doubt very seriously you'd hear that strategy. Uh, Gideon was instructed to reduce his 32,000 man army to 300 and then go win the battle, which he did. So here the instruction is march out against them and then stand over there and watch me, right? Why is that important? Because we as human beings will try to make a pattern out of everything. We'll come, we'll come to a battle that we've already faced and we'll go, I remember what I did last time and we'll try to do that. And there's a lot of examples in the Bible where those people got their rears whipped, right? Because they came in with the attitude of, God, you know what? I have got this. You have to, it doesn't matter if the battle looks exactly the same, slightly the same, or completely different. Every time you go into one, you go to your quiet place. You see David go to his tent, right? You go to your quiet place. You get God's word for that battle. You employ that battle strategy whether it's going Braveheart on them or God saying, get behind me, I got this, Bubba, right? And you do what he says to do because when he says it, he fulfills it, amen? Man, I'm feeling the spirit of my grandfather this morning. Um, love you, Pop. Um, so here the instruction is march out against them, stand still and watch the Lord's victory. Let's see what we see uh, in Judah next. The next thing we see is praise. We see worship. But we see it before the battle. Does that make any sense in the natural? We as humans, you know, we, we celebrate, you know, after the Cowboys occasionally win, right? <laughs> Probably more so now because every victory means more to us, I think. <laughs> Last week's was a, was a pleasant surprise, right? Um, I was excited, you know, but we worshiped and we kind of praised, if you will, after the battle was over. In the kingdom, you worship first. Why is that? Because we don't worship to get victory. We worship from victory that's already been supplied to us, right? Um, we see the king's response in the word from uh, his prophet. So Jehaziel says, the battle's not yours, but God's. Go out, for he's with you. And then we pick up the text in verse 18. Then King Jehoshaphat bowed low, with his face to the ground. And all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping the Lord. Leadership has to go first. And here's what I'll tell you guys, that this leadership team, we're going first. Um, and I don't, I'm not going to spoil all the stuff that Pastor Marty probably wants to tell you about next year, but one of the things I do that connects so well with this message for all of us is the priority... If you look at the season we're in, guys, so we have this, you know, battle, if you will, ahead of us, this building that we don't have all the money for, right? Here's what God said. In 2019, you guys pray and you worship and you take care of the people and I'll fight that battle. Amen. And I can tell you wholeheartedly all week long, it was just more and more and more and more, more confirmation from the worship team, from our staff. They are leaning into prayer like they never have, and they're going before you, Pathway. We just want you to come with us. Amen? So, verse 19, the Levites from the clans of Kohath and Korah stood to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud shout. The Levites would have been the charismatic bunch, in case you're wondering. 
early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God. He was rallying their faith. And you'll be able to stand firm, believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. He's saying, God has spoken. His prophet has spoken. It will be done. He's kind of having a mini pep rally on the way to the lookout point right here. And he's like, let's go see God's hand. Let's go see the victory that God's already provided for us. So after consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. And they sang, give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. This wasn't something that God asked Jehoshaphat to do, okay? What I want you to kind of see in this story is Jehoshaphat's motive for that was coming from this place of understanding uh, the faith that he had for God's word and the confidence, because many of us might have gone up there going, you know what, I think he's going to do it, but I'm not real sure, <laughs> you know? We better go ahead and send some warriors out front just in case, right? But what does Jehoshaphat do? You know what? Warriors fall back. Worshippers, you go out to the front. We're going to sing over, but what do they sing? Do they sing a deliverance song? Do they sing a song of God bail me out? Uh, God, woe is me. No, they sing thank give thanks to the Lord. They sing, your love endures forever, right? So what is that, what is that, that picture? It's gratitude. You know, gratitude looks good on us, right? So uh, recently, here last month, actually, we got to take our kids uh, to Mickey Land. And this is a trip we've been trying to do for several years. We've had gallbladder surgeries, knee surgeries, financial setbacks, you name it. And this year, finally, after much prayer and fasting, God allowed us to go as a family. <laughs> We're like, God, no surgeries, okay? Um, but the thing that struck me from that trip, and Elaine and I talked about this um, daily, was one of our kids would come up at the most random moments. I got a 16-year-old little boy, and I say little boy, young man. His, his voice is deeper than mine now. Um, a 16-year-old boy, man-child, and a 12, almost 13-year-old little princess that came to us virtually every day in a, in a moment during the day and just grabbed our hand or hugged us and said, thank you so much, Mom and Dad, for, for this trip. You want to know what that does to Dad? I bought more souvenirs than I should have. <laughs> I did. Ask Elena. She's like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> they're so thankful, you know? Um, but, you know, if, if I react that way to my kids, how much more do you think God reacts to our thankfulness? Right? There, there was a moment in worship that when Lucy was, she started singing, I forget exactly the, the note or the, the phrase, but it was talking about being thankful and giving thanks to the Lord. When God looks down at us, it's, he wants to hear everything on our heart, but what moves the heart more than God than our gratitude, you know? I, I challenge all of you in your prayer time and in all this that we're talking about, write down a list of the things that God's done for you. Let's focus on those, and let's be thankful. Let's posture our heart in gratitude uh, because he, he's so good. He does things that we will never know this side of heaven. He's, he's prevented accidents. Um, he's, he's worked financially. He's done things. You know, some of you guys probably shouldn't even be here. I don't think I should be here. But I have such a recognition of God's hand on my life and an understanding that without him, I got nothing. 
But with him, I got everything. Amen. Um, so before the battle, you see them singing to the tops of their lungs. They're thanking God for his faithfulness and love for them. Did you know that worshiping in the face of your enemies prophesies their defeat and destruction? You write that one down. Think about the psychological uh, aspect of it, if you will, too. Think about an enemy that you're facing, and all of a sudden you start worshiping at them. You know? The, the kingdom of darkness and the enemy of our soul works in this little frame of time that he's got with what little he's been given. But God's real clear in the, in the word that we have all authority over the kingdom. What does that leave him? Zero, except what we give him, right? Don't give him anything, all right? So worship over him, because he ain't doing nothing, right? Worship at him. I can only imagine, the scripture doesn't support this, but I'm just using my holy imagination. If I'm, if I'm Edom and the Moabites and the Ammonites and all those ites, <laughs> and all of a sudden I'm ready for this battle, and I hear a bunch of worshipers singing give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. I'm like, do they know something I don't? <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? Is, you know, and well, the truth is yes, because you know, big brother is right there. And he's about to wipe you out, right? Um, your worship is powerful. It's not only spiritually powerful, it's psychologically powerful to your enemy. Ephesians, we continue. There's a, if you look at, Paul, he's talking to the church at Ephesus here, but it, it really hammers this point home. I wanted to share this with you. Uh, in verse 18, Ephesians 5, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's about the posture of your heart. Sing your song. You know, my song is not as pretty as some of these songs up here you just heard but it's mine, right? It's for me and God. There should be some private things in your life that are reserved just for the Lord. Exercise those. Figure out what those are. You know, God doesn't care if you can sing on pitch. You know, he doesn't care if you can play an instrument. Your worship means as much or more to him coming from that place than it does any talented musician or singer. You know that? Um, let's continue reading. So now they've focused their fear. They've focused it into faith, uh, they've humbled themselves, they've prayed, they've worshipped, and then we join back in the story of verse 22. As they're praising, at the very moment, the scripture is very specific here, at the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting amongst themselves. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After they destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other so that when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. Amen. I love scripture that preaches itself, you know. Um, friends, when God fights the battle for you, there are no survivors. Amen? When God fights your battle, there is no one left on the opposing side. And I can only imagine the scene because, you know, in any battle, there's always one guy left. I just imagine the last two. Like, what happened? You know, 
one fired an arrow while the other threw a javelin or one threw a, thrust a spear while the other, you know, I don't know. But God orchestrated it so that at the end of the day, nobody was left. Yes. Amen. Um, when you start worshiping over your battle, God sets ambushes. You saw that at the very moment they began to sing and praise. It's when God set the ambush. So let's continue. Verse, 20, uh, verse 25. King Jehoshaphat and his men went out to gather the plunder. So this is after the battle. They found vast amounts of equipment, clothing, and other valuables, more than they could carry. There was so much plunder that it took them three days to collect it all. It took millions of people three days to collect all of the valuables, all the plunder. When God fights your battle, he lets you take home the spoils. Amen. On the fourth day, they gathered in the Valley of Blessing, or Baraka, I think it's the original word, but Blessing, which got its name that day because the people praised and thanked the Lord there. You see them gathering spoils. They're, you know, I, I know a lot of you have lost things um, in some of your battles. The enemy's taken things from you. But there's a season that's coming now where God's going to win this battle for you, and he's going to give you back more than you lost. You receive that? I felt that so strongly this week when I was praying over this message. There is a season of harvest coming from all the sowing that you've been doing in grief, from all the things that the enemy has worked against you for. God's going to flip it on in just a, just a heartbeat. You receive that? So then we see them heading home. I love this part. Then all the men returned to Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat leading them, overjoyed that the Lord had given them victory over their enemies. They marched into Jerusalem to the music of harps, lyres, and trumpets. They proceeded to the temple of the Lord. Remember, in the Old Testament, they, didn't have, they weren't priests like we are. They didn't have immediate access to the Father. So they went to the presence of God. The, after the battle, so you know how sometimes we, we win a battle or we win a victory as humans and then we kind of quickly forget, you know, how we got there sometimes, right? Um, what I love about their posture here is they win this amazing battle. I say they win it. God won this amazing battle for them. And their immediate response is to go back to his presence. Their immediate response is to go back to his presence, worshiping, giving thanks and gratitude for what, the, for what God's done for them, right? So... How important is it in our worship and faith that where we walk with the Lord, how, how important is worship to our walk? Well, in this story, again, types and patterns, right? We see Judah worshiping before the battle. We see them worshiping during the battle. And then we see them worshiping after the battle. So I'm going to, I'm going to make it simple for me because I like simple stuff. Just, just worship all the time, right? Um, worship from victory, Amen. Uh, there's an amazing footnote here I want to finish up with and conclude with that I don't want you guys to miss. When all the surrounding kingdoms, this is verse 29, when all the surrounding kingdoms heard that the Lord himself had fought against the enemies of Israel, the fear of God came over them. So Jehoshaphat's kingdom was at peace, for God had given him rest on every side. How many would like some rest on every side? The translation of that in, in Mark, you know, this is second Mark, you know, if you don't, that's me, you know, there's no second Mark. Um, the potential enemies around them took note and they said, you know what, we'll have none of this butt kicking. And though they left them alone, 
right? Um, when you, when God wins your battle, suddenly, like what we saw in this text, annihilation of the enemy, suddenly the other folks that may have meant you harm have better things to do, <laughs> right? And that's where the rest comes from. God fights the battle. The intimidation of your worship and his intervention on your part provides a place of peace for you. And then you walk in his peace and provision, right? Um, how many of you today could use Emmanuel in your battle? How many need God with you in your battle? So go ahead and stand with me.